talk about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way it might be really good. Wow. It's a good except it sucks. A movie by movie and television series by television series, Hurtle do the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time we're taking a look at Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, released in May 2023, when you could have saved cinema from being entirely devoured by the multiverse by going to see the cow who sang a song into the future instead. I'm Tim Worthington and we'll be finding out what I thought of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 shortly. Meanwhile, Joining us to give his thoughts on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is musician and podcaster Paul Abbott. Paul, where can people find you? People can find me on Twitter mainly, at Pavlovich, and that's the best place to go to find links through to all the various pod adventures that I'm on, which most recently has been the Big Beatles Sort Out, which is my brother's podcast, casting a net over various aspects of Beatles and solo Beatles work and him ranking and rating them and me berating him for doing it wrong. We've just concluded Series 3 of that, and we're going to be doing some specials over the coming months as we bridge through to hopefully a new series before too long and that's been my main project people might also know the head ballet which is a novelty song podcast which again may come back soon so that sort of thing or go and listen to my band good grief i should say paul's band is actually called good grief he wasn't sort of talking like an awardian gent and saying no, go and listen to my band listen to my band comma good grief <laughs> Okay, so before we get any further, Paul, what happens in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? Okay, here's a little two-paragraph summary as I see it. Having had a lovely Christmas holiday, the Guardians of the Galaxy are now having a lovely time on their new home base on Nowhere, except for Peter Quill, who is now a drunken bum over losing his Gamora. However, he's forced to snap out of this when a golden idiot turns up and attacks and fatally injures Rocket Raccoon. Or not fatally, near fatally injures Rocket Raccoon, which triggers a quest to find a way to stop the kill switch in the raccoon's body being triggered as they try to heal him. That takes them out to some gloopy organic tardigrade armoured warrior protected headquarters of a place called Orgo Corp, which is the corporate business front for the horrifying experiments of the High Evolutionary, our main baddie, who they later find on Counter-Earth where they're forced to confront him and his minions, free some captives, which includes animals and children and sort of hybrids, and save Rocket's life. And that all leads ultimately up to the breaking up of the Guardians of the Galaxy as we know it now, or as we have known it. Okay, well, speaking of golden idiots, Paul, how much did you know about Adam Warlock before you saw this? Next to nothing. I'd seen the name before. I've never seen him in comics. I don't know any context. Obviously, the second film has got a whole different set of... Well, not different set, a broader set of golden idiots in it as well. It's interesting. Yeah, I know the name. You don't really know from the name Adam Warlock what you're going to get with Marvel. And then he becomes a sort of space super baddie thing. 
it's a weird one. I know next to nothing about it, and I like the way he's portrayed in this because no warlocking at all, really, as far as I understand the term. Well, I really liked what was done with him as well for a very different reason, which is it is interesting. They're now bringing in these characters like Adam, who are well known to people who you know followed the comics. I think a lot of people, even though I think he dates back to the late sixties, I think he was originally introduced in the Fantastic Four, but a lot of people will know him because he had a backup strip in Marvel Star Wars comic you know when star wars was at its absolute height right so that's why he's so fondly thought of and so revered but i was never that mad on him because in this comic incarnation he's a bit of a know-all and a miracle cure-all who would turn up famously for me it really got to me the actual comic of the infinity gauntlet which is you know what everything basically in phases one two and three was based around was yeah. that he sort of turns up at the end just when there's this battle between nebula and thanos for control of the gauntlet and basically says i'll have that stop everything and that <laughs> really really annoyed me so he was used in that way quite a lot and he was much given to very long very pompous speeches you know that were supposed to be rousing but it doesn't really be like that when you're thinking when's the thing going to start punching people but does he do anything magical you know like that's what you'd expect from a warlock sort of magic cosmic magic i mean cosmic one magic. thing that i don't think they'll do with him here was that he did own the soul stone which right. obviously we don't know what's happened to that now but that played a huge part in what he did and he formed a team called infinity watch with gamora and pip the troll to keep an eye on where the infinity stones were and at one point they gave one under to thanos for safekeeping because that was the last place anyone would think to look for it. Yeah. So his logic sometimes supersedes actual logic, if you see what I mean. But I love that here they made him this sort of naive, slightly confused character who doesn't quite understand the world around him. And this always had to get validation from his mother. And that yeah, made him both more comic and sympathetic. It's interesting how they've taken the Sovereign, which we see en masse in the other film, and boil it down to just these two. So Adam, who was sort of, I think, was supposed to be in the second movie, and then they cut him out to make space for everything else that was going on or not cut him out didn't include him and so in this one we just get aisha who was essentially we thought was some sort of high priestess of a completely separate civilization turns out to be a creation of our super villain in this one and then yeah her son who has been awoken too early i think is the idea isn't it that he's sort of been ripped untimely from his whatever he's being grown in and so he's a bit of adult but has all this insane superpower super strength super speed he can fly through space all this stuff but i think they chose very well when they chose will poulter to play him he really does capture that sort of snubbed child thing which he's sort of slightly typecast as a little bit ever since he was playing eustace in voyage of the dawn treader so yeah i think that's quite good well i also think the doltishness serves two purposes one it makes him a more interesting character for cinema audiences because if Definitely. they did him exactly like he was in the comics like in the silver surfer cartoon he's like that as well it just wouldn't it would bore people i think but the other thing is because he's one of the most powerful marvel characters there is i think it's an inbuilt thing to trip him up to stop him becoming I always had to think about the reason him, Captain Marvel, Wonder Man and Nova weren't brought in earlier on was because they could have just punched Thanos and stopped him. But, Mm. you know, Adam's got this sort of emotional immaturity in a way you know this unmet need and i think that's there to ship up and also interestingly when i went to see this before it was the first time i saw the trailer for the marvels 
And they're obviously tripping Carol up a bit because she's now got a problem where when she uses her abilities, she swaps places with Kamala or Monica. I think that's a deliberate choice. And I think it works really well because he was my favourite thing about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 by far. And I did not go in expecting that. Yeah, I enjoyed him. It's funny because he sort of comes in and then goes away a bit. And so you do get big, long stretches of this where you're without him as an antagonist, really. And then on his return, he's changed somewhat there's you know the stakes have changed he's seen the bullying of the high evolutionary to his family then obviously that escalates and so you see the seeds of doubt in there and yeah it is interesting it's nice he's there at the end he has a very important role to play in helping the film come to its conclusion and then clearly where it's going to go in the future possibly as well well one thing we should get out of the way early on is the very protracted production of this film which yeah very sort of slight potted history for anyone who doesn't know it would originally have come out at some point in 2020 it was supposed to start very shortly after volume two had been released the problem set in when... Now, it's worth saying, I do not think that the old tweets by James Gunn with tasteless, off-colour jokes were exactly the best things to have in your tweet history. I will say, no. but the people who seized on them were right-wing commentators, most of whom are conspiracy theorists, some of whom have since been, shall we say, discredited in inverted mm. commas. You know, I'm being generous to them there. Now, they're the sort of people who complain about being cancelled all the time, but they were determined, for some reason, reason to get him fired from a film that I don't think any of them were going to go and see anyway. He was fired and Disney now this it all becomes very murky to observers Disney said it wasn't right to keep him on in light of me too. Now if you're equating that with some dubious tweets to say face I'd say that is demeaning the whole me too movement really. I mean that's somebody else's argument that's how it feels to me but then the cast said they wouldn't do it without him uniformly every single one of them and it went on and on until they rehired him but by that point he was busy working for DC who had obviously no such qualms you know it looked at the situation objectively and he had at least two projects on the go with them at that point so it didn't even start filming until late 2021 then the holiday special was brought into it and they were actually made concurrently using the same set you know as part the same production and so you know it had to come out after the holiday special so it is quite a long time since it would originally have come out and apparently very little if anything has changed script wise and casting wise since they were first intending to start work on it but i wonder if possibly guardians mania as we knew it has sort of abated a little in the meantime yeah i think quite possibly it does feel like it's been a long time coming in terms of the film series it's in obviously in terms of marvel films there's been plenty of stuff in between some of which I think has shown some very interesting heights and some very, very poor lows, which, you know, a tricky period, in my opinion, the phase four stuff anyway. So, yeah, I think it might have done. But what I like about this film is that it does feel quite self-enclosed in terms of it doesn't require to have come straight off the back of anything, particularly. I mean, the stuff about alternative reality Gamora is a little confusing still because the films dealing with that stuff seem a long way in the past now to me. But other than that, it doesn't feel like it has to be, oh, you must have had that before that and this, that and the other. That's one of the reasons I really like it. And maybe that's a consequence of him coming to it or having to complete it so much later and not being able, having it all tied down in the web of continuity. And there is also that brilliant non-explanation where it's basically her daddy threw her off a magic cliff. Yes, yes, yeah. You make a joke that explains things and doesn't. 
And that seems to work for people who aren't au fait with what they're supposed to be au fait with. That probably looks more casual than it is. Yeah, that's what you'd hope a successful script does. It makes all that sort of stuff look casual and, and doesn't feel like you're walking out of the cinema with that in your head. Well, so you want to walk out of the cinema with the story and the adventure that you've just had rather than putting together a jigsaw puzzle, which sometimes you do have to do. This one, I think, manages to get away with it. He starts it well, ends it well, and you can watch it on its own. I would say overall, I'm not necessarily saying this as a criticism. I felt it had a less carefree tone as a whole. It's a sharp contrast, particularly the holiday special yeah a lot more of it seems to be in darkness you know there's a lot less brightness and color than the previous guardians outings which brings me around to the thing that's been the most contentious detail about it which is the animal cruelty storyline now i don't think people can really legitimately say that they weren't warned that it might come up at some point because in the first one you got rocket doing that drunken breakdown about the fact he was manufactured you know, taken to pieces and stitched back up. And then Yondu rants about more or less the exact same thing in volume two, when you say those scientists who made you didn't give a rat's ass about you. So it was clear they were going to go into it at some point. I think possibly where it might have gone too far for some people, and in a way it went too far for me in a completely different way, is the very, I don't know, I kind of feel too long was spent on the anthropomorphic animals conversing. Okay. It felt a little bit to me like it turned into entire episodes of the Get Along Gang at points. And I sort of felt it might have been more of a shock and had more of an impact of the message had those exchanges been more limited, you know, less philosophical, like as if they were just struggling to comprehend what was happening. I can understand why they did it, but it didn't work for me in that regard. And I imagine it probably upset a lot of people more than maybe it needed to. Well, it's, I mean, it upset me because animal cruelty is very, very upsetting. And I understand what you mean. In one way, though, I think what the choice of that storyline does is it gives you a very clear villain and that is something that very often superhero movies a lot of movies don't do they tend to semi-rehabilitate villains very quickly they have a purpose they have a reason for this now this guy's got a sort of purpose but it's the way he's carrying it out is not redeemable in any way shape or form i hadn't thought about it particularly actually though but if i'd have been younger if i was a young child taking a child to this it could have been, I think it probably could have been quite scary and very upsetting, despite the sort of, what I think is a certain amount of charm between the various talking animals, all of which look a little bit like something out of a Channel 4 animation you used to see, like from bizarre Polish animation with doll's heads stuck on machines and things like that. There was that BBC Two series, I Am Not An Animal, which it did remind me of, because that was oh, right, more, yeah. or less, more or less the same story. Uh, yeah, oh blimey. But it was, yeah, I don't know, I mean, I thought it made for a very good thing for them to kick against it wasn't just save a friend it was like this person is an absolute baddie of the highest order you can't really get much worse than this and not only is it animals it's also children as well just to up the stokes along the way that said for a film that is mainly about finding and destroying someone or trying to destroy someone who is a vivisectionist there is a mid-credits scene where the guardians of the galaxy new guardians of the galaxy are about to go off and kill a load of animals so <laughs> like, yeah, just like choose your tone on this one here you know they could have given them nets or something in that last scene so like we're going to trap them and save the humanoid creatures but no it's like yeah we've just freed all these tiny beautiful little raccoons and elephants and 
kangaroos and whatever it is. But now, yeah, we're just going to go and shoot loads of animals on this planet. <laughs> you do raise an interesting point about the high evolutionary day, because I was trying to think about this. It might be the first villain they've had, even including all the TV series, you know, even including the Agent of Shield, Big Bads and so on, that had yeah, yeah. no redeeming features whatsoever. He is just insane and cruel. He yes. cuts up and reconfigures humans animals alike because he can and you know you think about at the one end of the scale you've got thanos insane but you could argue there's in the sense in which he was trying to save universal civilization and he saw it as right that people would challenge him the other end of the scale you've got you know quentin beck inspired the man far from home just wants his glasses that's literally <laughs> all he wants even on the you know the tv in the darkest moments you've got Kilgrave was abused as a boy so that explains a lot of his attitudes with the people even jigsaw in the punisher do you know i was about to say he's like a bad version of the punisher but that, that, i'm sorry that does not make sense in any multiverse he is basically the punisher but without enough yeah, sense yeah. moral code he is just writing his own checks basically but every single one of them there is something you can point to to say they are interesting because, you know, like the Vulture thinks Tony Stark is taking work away from guys like him. Why shouldn't they steal some tech and get some of that work back? Fair point, I'd say. But here, yeah, yeah he is just a nasty piece of work. Yeah, because there's no... His aims are so selfish. You can't understand that even if he achieved what he says he wants to achieve, which is this bizarre, perfect civilization that cannot be achieved, then what good would it do him? So he'll never be happy. So we will continue to go on destroying, trying and destroying things that have no agency because he's created them and controls them and stuff like this. And so I think it is a masterstroke of a villain to have that rather than it be some broad strokes celestial threat thing. He's a mad scientist who's got a lot of bombs, but... As ever, I didn't know anything about the high evolutionary. And of course, went straight onto the internet to have a little look at the background. And he's one of those classic Marvel characters that starts out as like a person on Earth with a silly name who's from Manchester. Yes. But they're giving him the name Herbert Edgar Wyndham in like a proper, well, let's just have a look at the scary books on my bookshelf. And we've got H.G. Wells and Edgar Allan Poe and John Wyndham. I love that sort of naming. It's funny that they didn't pick that up and go, yeah, here I am in space creating these hybrids. And what's my name? Oh, it's Herbert. And I'm from, I don't know, Failsworth or something. He does have one redeeming feature, though, which is in the end credits. One of his creations is credited as unsavoury octopus. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It's a good villain to have because you can totally be on board as an audience with the need to get him and destroy him and when finally rocket pulls back you can be like well that does show what a hero would do compared to what he would do i'm going to say that one thing i felt a little short changed by is someone who as a viewer was invested quite heavily in this was the romantic subplot or rather the anti-romantic subplot i mean it might have been a bit corny and convenient if peter and gamora had sort of found each other again but corny and convenient is something they've done with so much flair and style in all of the past guardians things including the holiday special also surely given their sisterly rivalry and the fact she's very much changed and has a lot of developed respect for peter quill surely nebula and there is a hint of it to be fair but would have stepped in if gamora wasn't interested and thought yeah i love him yeah it's interesting how they deal with that sort of stuff i thought that was to its favor in all honesty because it gives space for some interesting sort of interactions and you don't have everything they tie a lot of stuff with nice little bows but it's not perhaps what you might have expected going into it because it does set it up like oh you know are they gonna get together in the same way it's 
sets up who's going to die in this one, which we were all expecting. And then it sort of wrong foots you on that as well. So, yeah, it didn't bother me. I think it's nice when characters get to leave with a certain amount of their own agency rather than because they've been paired off like the end of a Shakespeare play. So I thought it was all right. It's It suited it for me, I think. Okay, how about your favourite musical act? Philo, you first. Um, Britney Spears and... Good choices. I gotta go with the man. The Carpenters do not have a single bad song. Adrian Ballou, both solo and his work with King Crimson. What about you, Captain? Oh, this one's kind of special. I was expecting though that didn't actually happen because their appearance is very brief is I honestly thought the other Ravager faction were being set up to actually be part of the plot Mm. especially given their prominence in the battle at the end of Avengers Endgame but they don't really do very much I'm not complaining because I was very happy to see them I loved Krugar doing emojis with his hands I liked that Sylvester Stallone had a proper Starhawk helmet albeit briefly and we got instead of Miley Cyrus's main frame tara strong which at least because she voices miss minutes in loki indicates some kind of consistent ai manufacturer in the marvel <laughs> cinematic universe but it was a little bit sort of high pals were up next yeah it's been funny because sliced alone's appearances have been sort of very here and then gone he hasn't actually had that much to do really has he so there's probably a version of this story where you don't need those characters in it at all but it's a film full of funny looking space things and nathan fillion <laughs> well certainly his outfit in those things but yeah like those ravagers what is that floating cyberman head thing that's very odd mainframe that is yeah so that is mainframe it's just a very weird looking thing it's yeah but yeah there's been a lot there's a lot of character design i believe it's apparently the film that's had the most prosthetics ever used on screen in its productions which is good it's not just loads and loads of cgi monsters it's a good combination of practical and that as well we should also touch on the soundtrack which went in a very different direction to what people expect from guardians of the galaxy no there was no sort of soft rock or disco classics here it was more 90s alt rock really i say yeah, 90s so- there's things like no sleep till brooklyn as well but got we care a lot by faith no more the weirdest one was in the meantime by space hog who were uh, in fact i imagine most people don't remember them even though they were based in america they were kind of like a second division in terms of success i mean Britpop band who'd forever seemed to be supporting everyone i went to see about 1996 1997 and genuinely when in the meantime came on the soundtrack I started thinking that's not that song with the engaged tones that Space Hog used to do because I didn't actually I'd never heard the studio version I just heard them do it live I was just astonished and also apparently voiced a mayo from Space Hog having semi-retired from the music industry not in kind of obscurity because he's married to Liv Tyler for quite a long time he still lives in Hollywood but Mm. he has now started performing again and I say well done to him but I did wonder it struck me that Peter Quill's tastes were probably be more Britpop actually and they should have had free as a bird in it <laughs> I'd have loved that that would have been brilliant massive thumping Jefflin <laughs> snare drum as they've sort of signed that the big action sequence is going to happen now it's an interesting soundtrack I mean I don't ever need to hear any version of Creep again to be honest so I suffered through that 
the two times I've watched the film. Yeah, Alice Cooper on there. Like you say, the Beastie Beastie Boys are doing well with the profits from No Sleep Till Brooklyn this year because I think it's in Spider-Man as well, isn't it? And um, across the Spider-Verse. Interesting things that the replacements on there. And then, yeah, of course, Come and Get Your Love comes back towards the end because that's sort of emblematic, isn't it, of Quill's tastes in the first volume. I do think, though, there are possibly a few too many characters because some don't get very much to do. Cosmo the space dog. I mean, this is kind of emblematic. The main reason that Cosmo is just a dog running around on nowhere in the first two films, James Gunn always said, was because there was too much going on. And the Mm. talking dog would only make it more of too much. And then that kind of happens here because Cosmo, despite having had quite a bit to do in the holiday special, doesn't really do much here. And Kraglin, although he's got the running storyline about trying to control the arrow, he's a little bit, oh, a thing is happening now. I must respond to that. Yeah, there is a lot. I mean, there is a lot going on. If you come to this completely cold, it is overwhelming. I don't think it's quite as overwhelming as I think Quantumania was. I think this looks better and is easier to follow with your eyes. But there is a lot. I mean, all the different scenes, then when they get to Counter-Earth, you've got a lot of everything, different types of character design going on there as well. You've got all the things that you see on the various space laboratory fortresses type things, like the Orgo Corp building. So everywhere you go, there's something. And then there's all those extra ravages popping in and out here and there which is why moments like the colourful spacesuits are quite nice images because you've just reduced it down to the core and you've also literally picked them out in primary colours like you know they've taken 2001 a space odyssey design essentially haven't they and gone sort of with that and so you have some really nice moments like that but yes there is a lot going on even before you get to cgi rabbit spider things if this is the last appearance of this iteration of the guardians then i think it gave them a really good send-off a really good sort of full stop on it because it did go in a different direction it explained things that didn't need explaining but in a good way as in you know not questions that people were asking rather than they didn't want to know about i hope that made some sense yeah no it 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 does because there is a lot of wrapping up to do because you know the intention was clear that it was going to be if not a full stop a long pause after this let's put it that way and so you do need to do stuff and they've got things where they've got like so there's a lot of bickering in this film the characters bicker a lot within themselves in the guardians and that's that sort of thing of like clearly personalities pulling away from each other and so they've you've get to that point where they're all able to actually that leads to them demonstrating their skills and their individuality and they're able to deal with that at the end so you get drax finally acknowledging that he doesn't need to carry his hurt around because it turns out he is like the ultra space dad he'll do dad dancing with you now if he's now he's relaxed enough he's, he's acknowledged that that's how he ends his story he doesn't go off with mantis which could have happened couldn't it apparently there was a film posited that there was going to be drax and mantis and i'm sure it would have been very funny but that didn't happen and actually i'm glad in the end that mantis gets to go off and have whatever her adventures are going to be because i think mantis is a brilliant character and i'm glad to see how it played out in this one nebula finally gets to experience family quill finally says i'm going to go home to my actual family rather than being out sort of half looking for one and so although you think of the guardians of the galaxy as the family in the film actually what happens is they've all got separate family roles to do in different places and so it does very cleverly sort of pull it into that i think it absolutely does and i think as well it's good they didn't go down the mantis and drax road movie route because they'd already sort of done that in the holiday special yeah, yeah. and i don't think they can top that how do you feel this compares with the holiday special because i would say as much as i love 
love this. I actually think the holiday special was better. And it's odd because that appears to be considered, you know, almost like an adjunct, a bit of an extra, a bit of a throwaway novelty. But I actually think somehow they managed to go even better with that. I think it's really interesting, the holiday special. And there's something definitely to be said for doing stories on a smaller timescale for a kickoff than some of the length of some of these movies. Not that this is one of the absolute epics, but to pack that in. And also because things like the holiday special, to me, feel more like reading a quick comic story. And I quite like that aspect of it rather than having to read. No, it's rather than a comic subscription. It's like you've picked up a collection of a couple of story, you know, a couple of issues, story type thing. And yeah, perhaps the problem with this one is, like I say, the characters bicker a lot. They do a fair bit of it in the holiday special as well, but it works to the humour of that, the amplified humour, the sort of colour and fun of Christmas. This is darker. They work well as a pair, but not in the sense of you getting the same thing. You definitely get in light and dark between the holiday special and this, like you say. That is quite an interesting point, though, that while, I mean, I will go into bat for most of the recent movies... There are some that I think really could have been a lot better. But even then, you know, I will defend them. But even so, I think a lot of the better material has been hidden away on Disney+. Plus. If more people had seen the holiday special, Werewolf by Night, Hawkeye, I know yep. it's divisive, but She-Hulk, Ms. Marvel, if people had seen them, there would be less of this, it's going to destroy Disney and take Warner Brothers with it hysteria that's going on. Yeah. It'd be a bit like, well, to use a Britpop analogy. Now, bear in mind your mileage may vary but it would be like moving on from country house and roll with it you know which were should we say reasonable singles hyped above the actual quality right onto wonder wall and the universal which are properly good songs i yes, am going yes. trying to go somewhere with this but basically yeah. that's what i mean had people been to see wakanda forever and been a bit underwhelmed by it and then seen werewolf by night there might be a very different discussion going on but unfortunately it's all sat there on disney plus at the moment so there is talk at the moment of disney pivoting back to physical media and licensing stuff to terrestrial tv but it hasn't mm. happened yet yeah it's very hard to say what's going to happen with anything that relies on a streaming service as its key home especially as like paramount plus has just removed star trek prodigy like an entire series is just gone of a new thing that apparently was quite popular i haven't even got around to watching that yet and so you know that's a good example of the riskiness of this so if they start if things start to drop off the edges of streaming which shouldn't be possible you know but it does and it also i think streaming stuff does tend to muddy the waters of like the order of things and how you get to them yeah it's weird i don't know i enjoyed it very much after what i think of as a string of quite like i said up and downy sort of films i liked wakanda forever but that obviously had a tone to it that was going to be completely different to anything else because of the you know <laughs> the very obvious reason for that i thought thor love and thunder missed terribly doctor strange i thought was half good I liked Spider-Man. I loved Shang-Chi. liked Black Widow. You and I haven't really talked about Eternals because I think we would we'd end up at possibly at blows. Because, <laughs> But in a world where Eternals exist, you do need something like the Guardians of the Galaxy movies because otherwise everything becomes very leaden in sort of mythos and the celestial when actually sometimes you just want a proper baddie that you can go after and a weird gold fella who keeps turning up and a little pissing monster pet thing you want someone to use the, the f word for the first time oh yeah, yes yeah which apparently it was written scripted as groot and it was pointed out how do we know groot's actually said that 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, good point. Although I do like, it only occurred to me really thinking about it a bit more. So Groot gets a line in English at the end, except he doesn't. It's in I am Groot language, isn't it? But we are supposed to be, as the audience now, close enough to the character to understand him, which, uh, you know, is a nice touch. And of course, even better, the absolute best thing about this film, which we haven't touched on at all, is the fact that Adam Warlock is a fan of Adrian Ballou, both solo and with King Crimson. Well, it's going to come on to the post credit scenes. And the first one, as you mentioned, the new Guardians are sat around discussing their musical tastes. What is interesting here is that they've not even got around to assembling a new Avengers yet, despite the fact there's two separate sets of pieces on the board. You know, there's Sam and Bucky and everyone and Mm -hmm. Captain Marvel. And there's also an increasing number of young Avengers, one of whom actually appears from nowhere in this. Yeah. And, you know, but they haven't done anything with the Avengers yet. They even joked in Eternals, although you probably didn't notice this because you're too busy throwing... I was too busy fuming. I didn't go to the cinema Chucking your popcorn that. in anger, but <laughs> there is a joke about Icarus saying, I could lead the Avengers and they all laugh. They've not done anything more with the Defenders yet, although obviously I think with an 18-part Daredevil series coming up, I think we might see them in that. Yes, I think it's possibly. possible. But they've gone straight into a new set of Guardians of the Galaxy. What is interesting, actually, is most of the cast have said that they're done with it now. Zoe Saldana said, I've done more than I expected with this character. It's time to hang up the green body paint. Dave Batista has said that. Interesting though, Karen Gillan, who have been saying for years, I've done enough franchises now. I think I'm done with Nebula. is now backtracking on that slightly. Mm. So we get Rocket and Groot, Kraglin, Adam, Cosmo and Phylavel, who in one of those brilliant moments, anyone watching it would have spotted they're running around that circle in High Evolutionary's lab early on and thought, ooh. Right. But she is just introduced here as a new character going forward. Uh, like you say, they introduced them via their musical tastes, which I think is a great way to do it. Yeah, it is. It's, it's very interesting. I mean, Phyla's clearly there, you know, to the casual viewer, is just one of the children on the, they've rescued from the spaceship laboratory thingy. But yeah, Marvel being Marvel, it could go anywhere with that character. But yeah. You can't get away with, like, it's Adrian Ballou is mentioned in a Marvel film, which is just... And, of course, I had to go and check to see whether actual Adrian Ballou has acknowledged this. And, of course, everyone's told him, and he's like, I'm very shocked. I'm a huge fan. I love this series. Brilliant on every level and so music-centric. Thank you, Marvel and Guardians, for making me a part of this amazing legacy. And the thing is, they've used Bowie tracks in the previous movies, but none with him on. Well, they should just put loads of King Crimson in it. I love the King Crimson stuff with Adrian Ballou on it. What they should put in is pretty Pink Rose, the single he and David Bowie did as a duet in 1990 that's been completely forgotten about and isn't on any Bowie compilations. I think they should have had King Crimson's elephant talk, given that there is actually elephants in this, I think, at some point. As they as do rest- talk. Yeah, so elephant talk or Thela Hunjinji or had Mata Kudasai over the credits. There's also some references for King Crimson fans there. And in the final post-credits scene, we get Peter Quill with his grandfather, who brilliantly turns out to be called Jason, because originally there was a very slightly different backstory. Quill's father was a originally a Cree called J apostrophe son mm. rather than Ego the Living Planet and they're basically just being a bit bored at home and then there is a message at the end saying the legendary Star-Lord will return. Now that is interesting because it's not necessarily Peter Quill who will return. I mean, we'd be surprised yeah, yeah, yeah. if Chris Pratt didn't, but it could be, given that they keep dropping hints that there are mutants out there, Kitty Pride, who has been Star-Lord on several occasions, well, I'll leading take your word the new for it. Guardians of the Galaxy. 
I am still undecided about, on the one hand, I think they cannot not do the X-Men as the X-Men because, yeah. you know, they are so... But also, they kind of can't because the X-Men I cast in the Fox films are still fresh in people's minds. And so, will they do different things with all those characters? I hope so. And have them in different places, not as the X-Men. To be honest with you, I would be quite happy to see that, because the X-Men were never my favourite team anyway. I always preferred it when they went off and did mad things, like join the Guardians of the Galaxy for no reason, for example. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. It's this very faction-based storytelling, obviously, is something that Marvel does. You know, Avengers, Guardians, X-Men, and things like that. And there's been some very clear delineation between them, but obviously that's now being scrubbed away, because the slate of films and things is so long now into the future you sort of know what's coming up but you know hopefully there'll be some interesting surprises along the way these things live and die on casting i think and they've had some really good successes with who they've cast i mean i'm gonna be very sad to see dave batista go because he's always been a big favorite of mine i saw him wrestling in the first wwe raw broadcast live from outside of north america in manchester and i've loved him ever since i saw him you could see him behind the jumbotron big screen after he'd wrestled he was just leaning on a, something like some pack cases looking like the most tired man in the world it's like i love you dave batista and then a few years later he's everyone's favorite big blue space fool but yeah the casting's the be all and end all of this let's hope interesting things happen whatever they choose to do well i will say in conclusion i mean it possibly sounds like i've been a bit detached about this throughout it and that is because i genuinely am sad to be saying goodbye to this group of characters. Yeah. I love this film, but it still had that sort of tinge of melancholy for me. And that's yeah. a very, very odd feeling. It wasn't even, there's not even a bit of sweetness to it. It's just kind of, that's sad. It's not, you know, like when David Tennant regenerates or something. It's as if he'd just gone, ah, see ya, at the end of his last <laughs> one. It's a dark film. And like I say, they do threaten that characters are going to die all the way through it. So you're not exactly there going, oh, this is all hilarious. You know, I was trying to think about how many times characters are sort of set up to look like they're going to be killed. I mean, your main plot driver is Rocket lying near dead. You've got Drax shot in the front and the back by the Orgo Corp security in their silly tardigrade outfit things. You've got Quill frozen in the depths of space, which is a thing James Gunn loves to do with the characters. He loves his characters being frozen in space. Nebula's snapped several times. Mantis looks like she's being set up to be eaten by an abelisk thing. It's not the big, colourful, laugh-along thing that, that has been in the past, but, you know. And yet, also, it is at the same time. I mean, what Compared is Adam to many, if he's not brilliant comic relief throughout it? Yeah, he is. If your role involves you doing a comedy appearance slash pratfall through a door you know you gotta do it well and i was thinking about the films that i've seen will poulter in before and i think it's only the chronicles of narnia and son of rambo both of which he was brilliant in and both of which he was sort of like grumpy young boys which is still what he's playing now okay but there's only one thing left for me to ask now paul if you had the ability to control the sort of unstoppable arrow by whistling what would you use it for oh that's a very good question that unstoppable arrow what would i use it for you could make sort of like kebabs at a distance and return <laughs> them instantly to you but you do yeah you could just, Can I just do that point out you've just been talking about a film about animal cruelty yeah it, it didn't turn me vegan or anything like that <laughs> hey, anyway you can you can have a vegetarian kebab you, you know could, yeah, but imagine yeah. the speed with which you could acquire the kebab materials and organize them neatly on an arrow that's it perfectly you can tell i've been doing a bit of diet in preparation for a holiday really that's what the first thing that came into my head i really can't say anything to top that paul thank you and excelsior excelsior tim
If you've enjoyed this, don't forget you can find more editions of It's Good Except It Sucks and plenty more besides, including details of my book Can't Help Thinking About Me at timworthington.org.